Chapter 4 of You Know Me Al. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Rodstrom. You Know Me Al by Ring Lardner. Chapter 4 A New Busher Breaks In. Chicago, Illinois, March 2. Friend Al. Al, that piece in the paper was all okay and the right dope, just like you said. I seen President Johnson, the president of the league today, and he told me the piece in the papers was the right dope, and Comiskey did not have no right to sell me to Milwaukee because the Detroit club had never gave me no waivers on me. He says the Detroit club was late in filing their claim, and Comiskey must have taken it for granted that they was going to waive, but President Johnson was pretty sore about it at that and says Comiskey did not have no right to sell me till he was positive that they was not no team that wanted me. It will probably cost Comiskey some money for acting like he done, and not paying no attention to the rules, and I would not be surprised if President Johnson had him throwed out of the league. Well, I asked President Johnson, should I report at once to the Detroit club down south? And he says, no, you better wait till you hear from Comiskey. And I says, what has Comiskey got to do with it now? And he says, Comiskey will own you till he sells you to Detroit or somewhere else. So I will have to go out to the ballpark tomorrow and see is they any mail for me there, because I probably will get a letter from Comiskey telling me I am sold to Detroit. If I had of thought at the time, I would have knew that Detroit never would give no waivers on me after the way I showed Cobb and Crawford up last fall, and I might have knew, too, that Detroit is in the market for good pitchers because they got a rotten pitching staff, but they won't have no rotten staff when I get with them. If necessary, I will pitch every other day for Jennings, and if I do, we will win the pennant sure because Detroit has got a club that can get two or three runs every day, and all as I need to win most of games is one run. I can't hardly wait till Jennings works me against the White Sox and what I will do to them will be a plenty. It don't take no pitching to beat them anyway, and when they get up against a pitcher like me, they might as well leave their bats in the bag for all the good their bats will do them. I guess Cobb and Crawford will be glad to have me on the Detroit club, because then they won't never have to hit against me except in practice, and I won't pitch my best in practice, because they will be teammates of mine, and I don't never like to show none of my teammates up. At that, though, I don't suppose Jennings will let me do much pitching in practice, because when he gets a hold of a good pitcher, he won't want me to take no chances of throwing my arm away in practice. Al, just think how funny it will be to have me pitching for the Tigers in the same town where Violet lives and pitching on the same club with her husband. It will not be so funny for Violet and her husband, though, because she has a chance to see me work regular she will find out what a mistake she made taking that left-hander instead of a man that has got some future and soon will be making five or six thousand dollars a year because I won't sign with Detroit for no less than five thousand dollars at most. Of course, I could have had her if I had wanted to, but still in all, it will make her feel pretty sick to see me winning games for Detroit while her husband is batting fungos and getting splinters in his uni from sliding up and down the bench. As for her husband, the first time he opens his clam to me, I will haul off and bust him one in the jaw. But I guess he will know more than to start trouble with the man of my size, and who is going to be one of their stars while he is just holding down a job because they feel sorry for him. I wish he could have got the girl I married instead of the one he got, and I bet she would have drove him crazy. But I guess you can't drive a left-hander crazier than he is to begin with. I have not heard nothing from Florial, and I don't want to hear nothing. I and her is better apart, and I wish she would sue me for the bill of divorce so she could not go around claiming she is my wife and disgracing my name. If she would consent to sue me for a bill of divorce, I would gladly pay all the expenses and settle with her for any sum of money she wants, say about seventy-five or a hundred dollars and there is no reason I should give her a nickel after the way her and her sister Marie and her brother-in-law Allen grafted off me. Probably I could sue her for a bill of divorce, but they tell me it costs money to sue, and if you just lay low and let the other side do the suing, it don't cost you a nickel. It is pretty late, Al, and I have got to get up early tomorrow and go to the ballpark 
and see is they any mail for me. I will let you know what I hear, old pal. Your old pal, Jack. Chicago, Illinois, March 4. Al, I am up against it again. I went out to the ballpark office yesterday, and there was nobody there except John somebody, who is assistant secretary, and all the rest of them is out on the coast with the team. Maybe this here John was trying to kid me, but this is what he told me. First, I says, is they a letter here for me? And he says, no. And I says, I was expecting word from Comiskey that I should join the Detroit club. And he says, what makes you think that you are going to Detroit? I says, Comiskey asked waivers on me, and Detroit did not give no waivers. He says, well, that is not no sign that you are going to Detroit. If Comiskey can't get you out of the league, he will probably keep you himself, and it is a cinch he is not going to give up no pitcher to Detroit, no matter how rotten he is. I says, what do you mean? And he says, you just stick round town till you hear from Comiskey, and I guess you will hear pretty soon, because he is coming back from the coast next Saturday. I says, well, the only thing he can tell me is to report to Detroit because I won't never pitch again for the White Sox. Then John gets fresh and says, I suppose you will quit the game and live on your savings. And then I blowed out of the office because I was scared I would lose my temper and break something. So you see, Al, what I am up against. I won't never pitch for the White Sox again, and I want to get with the Detroit club. But how can I if Comiskey won't let me go? All I can do is stick round till next Saturday, and then I will see Comiskey and I guess when I tell him what I think of him, he will be glad to let me go to Detroit or anywheres else. I will have something on him this time because I know that he did not pay no attention to the rules when he told me I was sold to Milwaukee, and if he tries to slip something over on me, I will tell President Johnson of the league all about it, and then you will see where Comiskey heads in at. Al, old pal, that $25 you give me at the station the other day is all shot to pieces and I must ask you to let me have $25 more, which will make $75 altogether, including the $25 you sent me before I come home. I hate to ask you this favor, old pal, but I know you have got the money. If I am sold to Detroit, I will get some advance money and pay up all my debts inclusive. If he don't let me go to Detroit, I will make him come across with part of my salary for this year, even if I don't pitch for him, because I signed the contract and was ready to do my end of it, and would have if he had not have been nasty and tried to slip something over on me. If he refuses to come across, I will hire a attorney at law, and he will get it all. So, Al, you see you have got a cinch on getting back what you loaned me, but I guess you know that, Al, without all this talk, because you have been my old pal for a good many years, and I have always treated you square and tried to make you feel that I and you was equals and that my success was not going to make me forget my old friends. Wherever I pitch this year, I will insist on a salary of five or $6,000 a year. So you see, on my first payday, I will have enough to pay you up and settle the rest of my debts, but I am not going to pay no more rent for this rotten flat, because they tell me if a man don't pay no rent for a while, they will put him out. Let them put me out. I should not worry, but will go and rent my old room that I had before I met Flory and got into all this trouble. The sooner you can send me that $35, the better, and then I will owe you $85 inclusive, and I will write and let you know how I come out with Comiskey. Your pal, Jack. Chicago, Illinois, March 12. Friend Al. I got another big surprise for you, and this is it. I am going to pitch for the White Sox after all. If Comiskey was not an old man, I guess I would have lost my temper and beat him up, but I am glad now that I kept my temper and did not lose it because I forced him to make a lot of concessions, and now it looks as though I would have a big year both pitching and money. He got back to town yesterday morning and showed up to his office in the afternoon, and I was there waiting for him. He would not see me for a while, but finally I acted like as though I was getting tired of waiting and I guess the secretary got scared that I would beat it out of the office and leave them all in the lurch. Anyway, he went in and smoked the Comiskey, and then come out and says the boss was ready to see me. When I went into the office where he was, he says, Well, young man, what can I do for you? And I says, I want you to give me my release, 
so as I can join the Detroit club down south and get in shape. Then he says, What makes you think you are going to join the Detroit club? Because we need you here. I says, Then why did you try to sell me to Milwaukee? But you could not because you could not get no waivers. Then he says, I thought I was doing you a favor by sending you to Milwaukee because they make a lot of beer up there. I says, What do you mean? He says, You've been keeping in shape all this winter by trying to drink this town dry. And besides that, you tried to hold me up for more money when you already had signed a contract already. And so I was going to send you to Milwaukee and learn you something. And besides, you tried to go with the Federal League, but they would not take you because they were scared to. I don't know where he found out all that stuff at, Al. And besides, he was wrong when he says I was drinking too much because there is not nobody that can drink more than me and not be affected. But I did not say nothing because I was scared I would forget myself and call him some name, and he is an old man. Yes, I did say something. I says, well, I guess you found out that you could not get me out of the league. And then he says, don't never think I could not get you out of the league. If you think I can't send you to Milwaukee, I will prove it to you that I can. I says, you can't because Detroit won't give no waivers on me. He says, Detroit will give waivers on you quick enough if I ask them. Then he says, Now, you can take your chance. You can stay here and pitch for me at the salary you signed up for. And you can cut out the monkey business and drink water when you are thirsty, or else you can go up to Milwaukee and drown yourself in one of them breweries. Which shall it be? I says, How can you keep me or send me to Milwaukee when Detroit has already claimed my services. He says, Detroit has claimed a lot of things, and they have even claimed the pennant, but that is not no sign they will win it. He says, And besides, you would not want to pitch for Detroit, because then you would not never have no chance to pitch against Cobb and show him up. Well, Al, when he says that, I knowed he appreciated what a pitcher I am, even if he did try to sell me to Milwaukee, or he would have not made that remark about the way I can show Cobb and Crawford up. So I says, Well, if you need me that bad, I will pitch for you, but I must have a new contract. He says, No, I guess we can fix that up okay. And he steps out in the next room a while, and then he comes back with a new contract. And what do you think it was, Al? It was a contract for three years. So you see, I am sure of my job here for three years, and everything is all okay. The contract calls for the same salary a year for three years that I was going to get before for only one year, which is $2,800 a year. And then I will get in on the City Serious money, too, and the Detroit club don't have no City Serious and have no chance to get into the World Serious with the rotten pitching staff they got. So you see, Al, he fixed me up good, and that shows that he must think a whole lot of me or he would have sent me to Detroit or maybe to Milwaukee but I don't see how he could have did that without no waivers. Well, Al, I almost forgot to tell you that he has given me a ticket to Los Angeles where the second team are practicing at now, but where the first team will be at in about a week. I am leaving tonight, and I guess before I go, I will go down to President Johnson and tell him that I am fixed up all okay and have got no kick coming so that President Johnson will not find Comiskey for not paying no attention to the rules or get him fired out of the league, because I guess Comiskey must be all okay and good-hearted after all. I won't pay no attention to what he says about me drinking this town dry, because he is all wrong in regards to that. He must have been joking, I guess, because nobody but some boob would think he could drink this town dry, but at that I guess I can hold more than anybody and not be affected. But I guess I will cut it out for a while at that, because I don't want to get them sore at me after the contract they gave me. I will write to you from Los Angeles, Al, and let you know what the boys says when they see me, and I will bet that they will be tickled to death. The rent man was round today, but I seen him coming, and he did not find me. I am going to leave the furniture that belongs in the flat in the flat, and also the furniture I bought, which don't amount to much, because it was not no real Sir Cash and Walnut, and because I don't want nothing round me to remind me of Flory, because the sooner her and I forget each other, the better. Tell the boys about my good luck, Al, but it is not no luck neither because it was coming to me. Yours truly, Jack. Los Angeles, California, March 16. Al, 
Here I am back with the White Sox again and it seems too good to be true because just like I told you they are all tickled to death to see me. Kid Gleason is here in charge of the second team and when he seen me coming to the hotel he jumped up and hit me in the stomach but he acts like that whenever he feels good so I could not get sore at him though he had no right to hit me in the stomach. If he had have done it in earnest I would have walloped him in the jaw. He says well if here ain't the old lady killer. He meant, Al, that I am strong with the girls, but I am all through with them now, but he don't know nothing about the troubles I had. He says, Are you in shape? And I told him, Yes, I am. He says, Yes, you look in shape, like a barrel. I says, They is not no fat on me, and if I am a little bit bigger than last year, it is because my muscles is bigger. He says, Yes, your stomach muscles is immense, and you must have gave them plenty of exercise. Wait till Bodie sees you and he will want to stick round you all the time because you make him look like a broom straw or something. I let him kid me along because what is the use of getting mad at him? And besides, he is all okay even if he is a little rough. I says to him, a little work will fix me up all okay. And he says, you bet you are going to get some work because I am going to see to it myself. I says, you will have to hurry because you will be going up to Frisco in a few days and I'm going to stay here and join the first club. Then he says, You are not going to do no such thing. You are going right along with me. I knowed he was kidding me then, because Callahan would not never leave me with the second team no more after what I'd done for him last year, and besides, most of the stars generally always go with the first team on a training trip. Well, I seen all the rest of the boys that is here with the second team, and they all acted like as if they was glad to see me, and why should not they be when they know that me being here with the White Sox and not with Detroit means that Callahan won't have to do no worrying about his pitching staff. But they is four or five young recruit pitchers with the team here and I bet they is not so glad to see me because what chance have they got? If I was Comiskey and Callahan I would not spend no money on new pitchers because with me and one or two of the other boys we got the best pitching staff in the league. And instead of spending the money for new pitching recruits, I would put it all in a lump and buy Ty Cobb or Sam Crawford off of Detroit or somebody else who can hit. And Cobb and Crawford is both real hitters, Al, even if I did make them look like suckers. Who wouldn't? Well, Al, tomorrow I am. I am going out and work a little. And in the PM, I will watch the game between we and the Venice Club. But I won't pitch none because Gleason would not dare take no chances of me hurting my arm. I will write to you in a few days from there because no matter what Gleason says I am going to stick here with the first team because I know Callahan will want me along with him for a attraction. Your pal Jack. San Francisco, California, March 20th. Friend Al. Well Al, here I am back in old Frisco with the second team but I will tell you how it happened Al. Yesterday Gleason told me to pack up and get ready to leave Los Angeles with him and I says, no, I am going to stick here and wait for the first team. And then he says, I guess I must have overlooked something in the papers because I did not see nothing about you being appointed manager of the club. I says, no, I am not manager, but Callahan is manager and he will want to keep me with him. He says, I got a wire from Callahan telling me to keep you with my club, but of course if you know what Callahan wants better than he knows it himself, why then go ahead and stay here or go jump in the Pacific Ocean? Then he says, I know why you don't want to go with me. And I says, why? And he says, because you know I will make you work and won't let you eat everything on the bill of fare, including the name of the hotel at which we are stopping at. That made me store, and I was just going to call him when he says, Did you not marry Mrs. Allen's sister? And I says, yes, but that is not none of your business. Then he says, well, I don't want to butt into your business, but I heard you and your wife had some kind of argument and she beat it. I says, yes, she gave me a rotten deal. He says, well then, I don't see where it is going to be very pleasant for you traveling around with a first club because Allen and his wife is both with that club and what do you want to be mixed up with them for? I says, I am not scared of Allen or his wife or no other old hen. So here I am, Al, with the second team, but it is only for a while till Callahan gets sick of some of them pitchers he has got 
and sends for me so he can see some real pitching. And besides, I am glad to be here in Frisco, where I made so many friends when I was pitching here for a short time, till Callahan heard about my work and called me back to the big show, where I belong, and nowhere else. Yours truly, Jack. San Francisco, California, March 25. Old pal? Al, I got a surprise for you. Who do you think I seen last night? Nobody but Hazel. Her name now is Hazel Levy, because you know, Al, she married Kid Levy, the middleweight, and I wish he was champion of the world, Al, because then it would not take me more than about a minute to be champion of the world myself. I have not got nothing against him, though, because he married her, and if he had not of, I probably would have married her myself, but at that she could not have treated me no worse than Flory. Well, they was sitting at a table in the cafe where her and I used to go pretty near every night. She spotted me when I first come in and sends a waiter over to ask me to come and have a drink with them. I went over because they was no use being nasty and let bygones be bygones. She introduced me to her husband and he asked me what I was drinking. Then she butts in and says, Oh, you must let Mr. Keefe buy the drinks because it hurts his feelings to have somebody else buy the drinks. Then Levy says, Oh, he is one of these here spendthrifts, is he? And she says, Yes, he don't care no more about a nickel than his right eye does. I says, I guess you have got no holler coming on the way I spend my money. I don't steal no money anyway. She says, What do you mean? And I says, I guess you know what I mean. How about that $30 that you borrowed off of me and never give it back? Then her husband cuts in and says, You cut that line of talk out or I will bust you. I says, Yes, you will. And he says, Yes, I will. Well, Al, what was the use of me starting trouble with him when he has got enough trouble right to home? And besides, as I say, I have got nothing against him. So I got up and blowed away from the table, and I bet he was relieved when he seen I was not going to start nothing. I beat it out of there a while afterward, because I was not drinking nothing, and I don't have no fun sitting around the place and lapping up ginger ale or something, and besides the music was rotten. Al, I certainly am glad I throwed Hazel over, because she has grew to be as big as a horse and is all painted up. I don't care nothing about them big dolls no more, or about no other kind neither. I am off of them all. They can all of them die, and I should not worry. Well, Al, I done my first pitching of the year this p.m., and I guess I showed them that I was in just as good a shape as some of them birds that has been working a month. I worked four innings against my old team, the San Francisco Club, and I give them nothing but fast ones. But they sure was fast ones, and you could hear them zip. Charlie O'Leary was trying to get out of the way of one of them, and it hit his bat and went over first base for a base hit. But at that, Fournier would have eat it up if it had been of Chase playing first base instead of Fournier. That was the only hit they got off me, and they ought to have been ashamed to have taken that one. But Gleason don't appreciate my work, and him and I almost come to blows at supper. I was pretty hungry, and I ordered some steak and some eggs and some pie and some ice cream and some coffee and a glass of milk, but Gleason would not let me have the pie or the milk and would not let me eat more than half the steak. And it is a wonder I did not bust him up and tell him to mind his own business. I says... What right have you got to tell me what to eat? And he says, You don't need nobody to tell you what to eat. You need somebody to keep you from floundering yourself. I says, Why can't I eat what I want to when I have worked good? He says, Who told you you work good? And I says, I did not need nobody to tell me. I know I work good because they could not do nothing with me. He says, Well, it is a good thing for you that they did not start bunting because if you would have went to stoop over and pick up the ball, you would have busted wide open. I says, why? And he says, because you are hog fat, and if you don't let up on a steak and fancy groceries, we will have to pay too fast to get you back to shy. I don't remember now what I says to him, but I says something you can bet on that. You know me, Al. I wish, Al, that Callahan would hurry up and order me to join the first team. If he don't, Al, I believe Gleason will starve me to death. A little slob like him don't realize that a big man like I needs good food and plenty of it. Your pal, Jack. 
Salt Lake City, Utah, April 1. Al, well, Al, we are on our way east, and I am still with the second team, and I don't understand why Callahan don't order me to join the first team, but maybe it is because he knows that I am all right and have got the stuff, and he wants to keep them other guys round where he can see if they have got anything. The recruit pitchers that is along with our club have not got nothing, and the scout that recommended them must have been full of hops or something. It is not no common thing for a club to pick up a man that has got the stuff to make him a star up here, and the White Sox was pretty lucky to land me. But I don't understand why they throw their money away on new pitchers when none of them is no good, and besides, who would want a better pitching staff than we got right now without no raw recruits and bushers? I worked in Oakland the day before yesterday, but he only let me go the first four innings. I bet them Oakland birds was glad when he took me out. When I was in that league, I used to just throw my glove in the box and them Oakland birds was licked. And honest Al, some of them turned white when they seen I was going to pitch the other day. I felt kind of sorry for them and did not give them all I had, so they got five or six hits and scored a couple of runs. I was not feeling very good at that, and besides, we got some awful excuses for a ball player on this club, and the sport they give me was the rottenest I ever seen gave anybody. But some of them won't be in this league more than about 10 minutes more, so I should not fret, as they say. We play here this afternoon, and I don't believe I will work because the team they got here is not worth wasting nobody on. They must be a lot of boobs in this town, Al, because they tell me that some of them has got half a dozen wives or so. And what a man wants with one wife is a mystery to me, let alone a half dozen. I will probably work against Denver because they got a good club and was champions of the Western League last year. I will make them think they are champions of the Epworth League or something. Yours truly, Jack. Des Moines, Iowa, April 10. Friend Al. We got here this AM and this is our last stop and we will be in Old Shy tomorrow to open the season. The first team gets home today and I would be there with them if Callahan was a real manager who knowed something about managing because if I am going to open the season, I should ought to have one day of rest at home so I would have all my strength to open the season. The Cleveland Club will be there to open against us, and Callahan must know that I have got them licked any time I start against them. As soon as my name is announced to pitch, the Cleveland Club is licked, or any other club when I am right, and they don't kick the game away behind me. Gleason told me on the train last night that I was going to pitch here today, but I bet by this time he has got orders from Callahan to let me rest and to not give me no more work because suppose even if I did not start the game tomorrow, I probably will have to finish it. Gleason has been sticking around me like as if I had a million bucks or something. I can't even sit down and smoke a cigar, but what he is there to knock the ashes off of it. He is okay and good-hearted, if he is a little rough, and keeps hitting me in the stomach but I wish he would leave me alone sometimes, especially at meals. He was in to breakfast with me this a.m., and after I got through, I snuck off down the street and got something to eat. That is not right, because it costs me money when I have to go away from the hotel and eat, and what right has he got to try and help me order my meals? Because he don't know what I want and what my stomach wants. My stomach don't want to have him punching it all the time, but he keeps on doing it, so that shows he don't know what is good for me. But he is an old man, Al, otherwise I would not stand for the stuff he pulls. The first thing I am going to do when we get to Shy is I am going to a restaurant somewheres and get a good meal where Gleason or no one else can't get at me. I know already what I am going to eat, and that is a big steak and an apple pie, and that is not all. Well, Al, watch the papers and you will see what I done to that Cleveland club, and I hope Lajouie and Jackson is both in good shape because I don't want to pick on no cripples. Your pal, Jack. Chicago, Illinois, April 16. Old pal. Yesterday was the first payday, old pal, and I know I promised to pay you what I owed you, and it is $75, because when I asked you for $35 before I went west, you only sent me $25, which makes the whole sum $75. Well, Al, I can't pay you now because the pay we drawed was only for four days and did not amount to nothing and I had to buy a meal ticket and fix up about my room rent. And then there is another thing, Al, which I will tell you about. I come into the clubhouse the day the season opened and the first guy I seen was Allen. I was going up to bust him, 
But he come up and held his hand out and what was they for me to do but shake hands with him if he is going to be yellow like that. He says, Well, Jack, I am glad they did not send you to Milwaukee and I bet you will have a big year. I says, Yes, I will have a big year, okay, if you don't stick another one of your sister-in-laws on me. He says, Oh, don't let they be no hard feelings about that. You know it was not no fault of mine, and I bet if you was to write to Flory, everything could be fixed up okay. I says, I don't want to write to no Flory, but I will get an attorney at law to write to her. He says, You don't even know where she is at. And I says, I don't care where she is at. Where is she? He says, she is down to her home in Waco, Texas. And if I was you, I would write to her myself and not let no attorney at law write to her because that would get her bad. And besides, what do you want an attorney at law to write to her about? I says, I am going to sue her for a bill of divorce. Then he says, on what grounds? And I says, desertion. He says, you better not do no such thing or she will sue you for a bill of divorce for none support and then you will look like a cheap guy. I says I don't care what I look like. So you see Al, I had to send Flory ten dollars or maybe she would be mean enough to sue me for a bill of divorce on the ground of none support and that would make me look bad. Well Al, Alan told me his wife wanted to talk to me and try and fix things up between I and Flory but I give him to understand that I would not stand for no meeting with his wife. And he says, Well, suit yourself about that, but there is no reason you and I should quarrel. You see, Al, he don't want no mix-up with me because he knows he could not get nothing but the worst of it. I will be friends with him, but I won't have nothing to do with Marie because if it had not have been for she and Flory, I would have money in the bank besides not being in no danger of getting sued for none support. I guess you must have read about Joe Ben's getting married, and I guess he must have got a good wife, and one that don't bother him all the time, because he pitched the opening game and shut out Cleveland with two hits. He was pretty good, Al, better than I ever seen him, and there was a couple of times when his fastball was pretty near fast as mine. I have not worked yet, Al, and I asked Callahan today what was the matter, and he says... I was waiting for you to get in shape. I says, I am in shape now, and I noticed that when I was pitching in practice this a.m., they did not hit nothing out of the infield. He says, That was because you are so spread out that they could get nothing past you. He says, The way you are now, you cover more ground than the grandstand. I says, Is that so? And he walked away. We go out on a trip to Cleveland and Detroit and St. Louis in a few days and maybe I will take my regular turn then because the other pitchers has been getting away lucky because most of the hitters has not got their batting eye as yet but wait till they begin hitting and then it will take a man like I to stop them. The first of May is our next payday Al and then I will have enough money so as I can send you the $75. Your pal Jack. Detroit, Michigan, April 28. Friend Al. What do you think of a rotten manager that balls me out and fines me $50 for losing a one to nothing game in 10 innings when it was my first start of the season? And no wonder I was a little wild in the tent when I had not had no chance to work and get control. I got a good notion to quit this rotten club and jump to the Federals where a man gets some kind of treatment. Callahan says I throwed the game away on purpose but I did not do no such thing, Al, because when I throwed that ball at Joe Hill's head, I forgot that the bases was full, and besides, if Gleason had not have starved me to death, the ball that hit him in the head would have killed him. And how could a man go to first base and the winning run be forced in if he was dead, which he should ought to have been, the lucky left-handed stiff, if I had had of my full strength to put on my fast one instead of being half-starved to death and weak? But I guess I better tell you how it came off. The papers will get it all wrong like they generally always does. Callahan called me this a.m. if I thought I was hard enough to work and I was tickled to death because I seen he was going to give me a chance. I told him sure I was in good shape and if them Tigers scored a run off me he could keep me sitting on the bench the rest of the summer. So he says, all right, I am got to start you 
and if you go good, maybe Gleason will let you eat some supper. Well, Al, when I begin warming up, I happen to look up in the grandstand, and who do you think I seen? Nobody but Violet. She smiled when she seen me, but I bet she felt more like crying. Well, I smiled back at her, because she probably would have broke down and made a scene or something if I had not of. There was not nobody warming up for Detroit when I begin warming up, but pretty soon I looked over to their bench, and Joe Hill, Violet's husband, was warming up. I says to myself, well, here is where I showed that bird up, if they got nerve enough to start him against me, but probably Jennings don't want to waste no real pitcher on this game, which he knows we got cinched, and we would have had it cinched out if they had got a couple of runs, or even one run for me. Well, Jennings come past their bench, just like he always does, and tried to pull some of his funny stuff. He says, Hello, are you still in the league? I says, Yes, but I come pretty near not being. I came pretty near being with Detroit. I wish you could have heard Gleason and Callahan laugh when I pulled that one on him. He says something back, but it was not no hot comeback like mine. Well, Al, if I had have had any work and my regular control, I guessed I would have pitched a zero-hit game because the only time they could touch me was when I had to ease up to get them over. Cobb was out of the game, and they told me he was sick, but I guess the truth is that he knowed I was going to pitch. Crawford got a couple of lucky scratch hits off of me because I got in the hole to him and had to let up. But the way that lucky left-handed Hill got by was something awful, and if I was as lucky as him, I would quit pitching and shoot craps or something. Our club can't hit nothing anyway, but batting against this bird was just like hitting fungos. His curveball broke about half an inch, and you could have wrote your name and address on his fast one while it was coming up there. He had good control, but who would not when they put nothing on the ball? Well, Al, we could not get started against the lucky stiff, and they could not do nothing with me, even if my support was rotten, and I give a couple or three or four bases on balls, but when they was men waiting to score, I zipped them through there so they could not see them, let alone hit them. Every time I come to the bench between innings, I looked up to where Violet was sitting and give her a smile, and she smiled back, and once I seen her clapping her hands at me after I had made Moriarty pop up in the pinch. Well, we come along to the tenth inning, zero and zero, and all of a sudden we got after him. Bodie hits one, and Shaw gets two strikes and two balls and then singles. Callahan tells Alcock to bunt, and he does it, but Hill sprawls all over himself like the big booby is, and the bases is full with nobody down. Well, Gleason and Callahan argued about should they send somebody up for me or let me go up there, and I says, let me go up there because I can murder this bird. And Callahan says, well, there's nobody out, so go up and take a wallop. Honest, Al, if this guy had have had anything at all, I would have hit one out of the park but he did not have even a glove. And how can a man hit pitching, which is not no pitching at all, but just slopping them up? When I went up there, I hollered to him and says, Stick one over here now, you yellow stiff. And he says, Yes, I can stick him over all right, and that's where I got something on you. Well, Al, I hit a foul off of him that would have been a fair ball and broke up the game if the wind had not have been against it. Then I swung and missed a curve that I don't see how I missed it. The next one was a yard outside, and as Evans calls it a strike. He has had it in for me ever since last year when he tried to get funny with me and I said something back to him that stung him. So he calls this third strike on me and I felt like murdering him. But what is the use? I throwed down my bat and come back to the bench, and I was glad Callahan and Gleason was out on the coaching line or they probably would have said something to me and I would have cut loose and beat them up. Well, Al, Weaver and Blackburn look like a couple of rums up there, and we don't score where we ought to have had three or four runs with any kind of hitting. I would have been all okay, in spite of that piece of rotten luck, if this Hill had have walked to the bench and not said nothing like a real pitcher. But what does he do but wait out there till I start for the box, and I says, Get on to the bench, you lucky stiff, or do you want me to hand you something? He says, I don't want nothing more of yourn. I already got your girl and your goat. Well, Al, what do you think of a man that would say a thing like that? And nobody but a left-hander could have. If I had had a gun, I would have killed him deader than a doornail or something. He starts for the bench, and I hollered at him, Wait till you get up to that plate, and then I am going to bean you. 
Honest, Al, I was so mad I could not see the plate or nothing. I don't even know who it was come up to bat first, but whoever it was, I hit him in the arm and he walks to first base. The next guy bunts and Chase tries to pull off one of them plays of his and instead of playing safe and he don't get nobody. Well, I kept getting madder and madder and I walked Stanage, who if I had have been myself would not foul me. Callahan has Scotty warming up and Gleason's runs out from the bench and tells me, I am through. But Callahan says, Wait a minute. He's going to let Hill hit, and this big stiff ought to be able to get him out of the way, and that will give Scotty a chance to get warm. Gleason says, You better not take a chance, because the big busher is hog wild. And they kept arguing till I got sick of listening to them, and I went back to the box and got ready to pitch. But when I seen this Hill up there, I forget all about the ball game, and I cut loose at his bean. Well, Al, my control was all okay this time, and I catched him square on the forehead, and he dropped like as if he had been shot. But pretty soon he gets up and gives me the laugh and runs to first base. I did not know the game was over till Weaver come up and pulled me off the field. But if I had not have been half starved to death and weak, so as I could not put all my stuff on the ball, you can bet that Hill never would have ran to first base, and Violet would have been a widow and probably a lot better off than she is now. At that, I never should ought to have tried to kill a left-hander by hitting him in the head. Well, Al, they jumped all over me in the clubhouse, and I had to hold myself back, or I would have gave somebody the beating of their life. Callahan tells me I am fined $50 and suspended without no pay. I asked him what for, and he says, There would not be no use in telling you, because you have not got no brains. I says, Yes, I have got some brains. And he says, Yes, but they are in your stomach. And then he says, I wish we had a sent you to Milwaukee. And I come back at him, I says I wish you had of. Well, Al, I guess there is no chance of getting square treatment on this club. And you won't be surprised if you hear of me jumping to the Federals, where a man is treated like a man and not like no white slave. Yours truly, Jack. Chicago, Illinois, May 2. Al, I have got to disappoint you again, Al. When I got up to get my pay yesterday, they held out $150 on me. $50 of it is what I was fined for losing a one to nothing 10-inning game in Detroit when I was so weak that I should ought never to have been set in there. And $100 is the advance money that I drawed last winter and which I had forgot all about. And the club would have forgot about it too if they was not so tight-fisted. So you see, all I get for two weeks' pay is about $80, and I sent $25 to Flory, so she can't come no nun-support business on me. I am still suspended, Al, and not drawing no pay now, and I got a notion to hire a attorney at law and force them to pay my salary, or else jump to the Federals where a man gets good treatment. Alan is still after me to come over to his flat some night and see his wife and let her talk to me about Flory, but what do I want to talk about Flory for, or talk about nothing to a nut left-hander's wife? The Detroit club is here, and Cobb is playing because he knows I am suspended, but I wish Callahan would call it off and let me work against them, and I would certainly love to work against this Joe Hill again, and I bet they would be a different story this time, because I've been getting something to eat since we've been home, and I got back most of my strength. Your old pal Jack. Chicago, Illinois, May 5. Friend Al. Well, Al, if you've been reading the papers, you will know before this letter is received what I done. Before the Detroit club come here, Joe Hill had win four straight. But he has not win no five straight, or won't neither, Al, because I put a crimp in his winning streak, just like I knowed I would do if I got a chance when I was feeling good and had all my strength. Callahan asked me yesterday, A.M., if I thought I had enough rest. And I says, sure, because I did not need no rest in the first place. Well, he says, I thought maybe if I laid you off a few days, you would do some thinking, and if you done some thinking once in a while, you would be a better pitcher. Well, anyway, I worked, and I wish you could have saw them Tigers trying to hit me, Cobb and Crawford inclusive. The first time Cobb come up, Weaver catched a lucky line drive off of him, and the next time I eased up a little and Collins run back and took a fly ball off of the fence. But the other times he come up, he looked like a sucker, except when he come up in the eighth, and then he beat out a bunt, but
but almost anybody is liable to do that once in a while. Crawford got a scratch hit between Chase and Blackburn in the second inning, and in the fourth he was gave a three-base hit by this Evans, who should ought to be writing for the papers instead of trying to umpire. The ball was two feet foul, and I bet Crawford will tell you the same thing if you ask him. But what I done to this hill was awful. I give him my curve twice when he was up there in the third, and he missed it a foot. Then I come with my fastball right past his nose, and I bet if he had not have ducked, it would have drove that big horn of hisn clear up in the press box where them rotten reporters sits and smokes their hops. Then, when he was looking for another fast one, I slopped up my slow one, and he is still swinging at it yet. But the best of it was that I practically won my own game. Bodie and Chalk was on when I come up in the fifth, and Hill hollers to me and says, I guess this is where I shoot one of them bean balls. I says, go ahead and shoot, and if you hit me in the head and I ever find it out, I will write and tell your wife what happened to you. You see what I was getting at, Al? I was insinuating that if he beaned me with his fast one, I would not never know nothing about it if somebody did not tell me because his fast one is not fast enough to hurt nobody, even if it should hit them in the head. So I says to him, go ahead and shoot, and if you hit me in the head and I ever find out, I will write and tell your wife what happened to you. See, Al? Of course, you could not hire me to write the violet, but I did not mean that part of it in earnest. Well, sure enough, he shot at my bean, and I ducked out of the way, though if it had had hit me, it could not have did no more than tickle. He takes two more shots and misses me, and then Jennings hollers from the bench, What are you doing? Pitching or trying to win a cigar? So then Hill sees what a monkey he is making out of himself and tries to get one over, but I have him three balls and nothing, and what I done to that groover was a plenty. She went over Bush's head like a bullet and got between Cobb and Veach and goes clear to the fence. Bodie and Shawk scores, and I would have scored too if anybody else besides Cobb had been chasing the ball. I got two bases, and Weaver scores me with another wallop. Say, I wish I could have heard what they said to that baby on the bench. Callahan was tickled to death, and he says, Maybe I will give you back the $50 if you keep that stuff up. I guess I will get that $50 back next payday, and if I do, Al, I will pay you the whole $75. Well, Al, I beat them 5-4, to four, and with good support I would have held them to one run, but what do I care as long as I beat them? I wish, though, that Violet could have been there and saw it. Yours truly, Jack. Chicago, Illinois, May 29. Old pal, well, Al, I have not wrote to you for a long while, but it is not because I have forgot you, and to show I have not forgot you, I am enclosing the $75 which I owe you. It is a money order, Al, and you can get it cash by taking it to Joe Higgins at the P.O. Since I wrote to you, Al, I've been east with the club, and I guess you know what I done in the east. The Athletics did not have no right to win that one game off of me, and I will get them when they come here the week after next. I beat Boston, and just as good as beat New York twice, because I beat them one game all alone and then saved the other for Eddie Seacott in the ninth inning and shut out the Washington club and would have done the same thing if Johnson had have been working against me instead of this left-handed stiff bowling. Speaking of left-handers, Allen has been going rotten, and I would not be surprised if they sent him to Milwaukee or Frisco or somewheres. But I got bigger news than that for you, Al. Flory is back, and we are living together in the spare room at Allen's flat, so I hope they don't send them to Milwaukee or nowhere else, because it is not costing us nothing for room rent, and this is no more than right after the way the Allens grafted off of us all last winter. I bet you will be surprised to know that I and Flory has made it up, and there is a secret about it, Al, which I can't tell you now, but maybe next month I will tell you, and then you will be more surprised than ever. It is about I and Flory and somebody else. That is all I can tell you now. We got in this AM, Al, and when I got to my room, there was a slip of paper there telling me to call up a phone number, so I called it up, and it was Alan's flat, and Marie answered the phone. And when I recognized her voice, I was going to hang up the phone. But she says, Wait a minute, somebody wants to talk with you. And then Flory come to the phone, and I was going to hang up the phone again. 
when she pulled this secret on me that I was telling you about. So it is all fixed up between us, Al, and I wish I could tell you the secret, but that will come later. I have taken my baggage over to Allen's, and I am there now writing to you while Florrie is asleep. And after a while, I am going out and mail this letter and get a glass of beer, because I think I have got one coming now on account of this secret. Florrie says she is sorry for the way she treated me, and she cried when she seen me. So what is the use of being nasty, Al, and let bygones be bygones? Your pal, Jack. Chicago, Illinois, June 16. Friend Al? Al, I beat the Athletics 2-1 to one today, but I am writing to give you the surprise of your life. Old pal, I got a baby, and he is a boy, and we are going to name him Allen, which Flory thinks is after his uncle and aunt Allen, but which is after you, old pal. And she can call him Allen, but I will call him Al, because I don't never go back on my old pals. The baby was born over to the hospital, and it is going to cost me a bunch of money, but I should not worry. This is the secret I was going to tell you, Al, and I am the happiest man in the world, and I bet you are most as tickled to death to hear about it as I am. The baby was born just about the time I was making McGinnis look like a sucker in the pinch, but they did not tell me nothing about it till after the game and then they gave me a phone message in the clubhouse. I went right over there, and everything was all okay. Little Al is a homely little skate, but I guess all babies is homely and don't have no looks till they get older, and maybe he will look like Flory or I, then I won't have no kick coming. Be sure and tell Bertha the good news, and tell her everything has come out all right, except that the rent man is still after me about that flat I had last winter and I am still paying the old man $10 a month for that house you got for me and which has not never done me no good. But I should not worry about money when I got a real family. Do you get that, Al? A real family! Well, Al, I am too happy to do no more writing tonight, but I wanted you to be the first to get the news, and I would have sent you a telegram, only I did not want to scare you. Your pal, Jack. Chicago, Illinois, July 2. Old pal. Well, old pal, I just come back from St. Louis this a.m. and found things in pretty fair shape. Florian and the baby is out to Allen's, and we will stay there till I can find another place. The doctor was out to look at the baby this a.m., and the baby was waving his arm around in the air. And Flory asked, was there something the matter with him that he kept waving his arm? And the doctor says, no, he was just getting his exercise. Well, Al, I noticed that he never waved his right arm, but kept waving his left arm. And I asked the doctor why was that. And the doctor says, I guess he must be left-handed. That made me sore, and I says, I guess you doctors don't know it all. Then I turned round and beat it out of the room. Well, Al, it would be just my luck to have him left-handed, and Flory should ought to have knew better than to name him after Allen. I am going to hire another doctor and see what he has to say, because they must be some way of fixing babies so as they won't be left-handed. And if necessary, I will cut his left arm off of him. Oh, of course I would not do that, Al. But how would I feel if a boy of mine turned out like Allen and Joe Hill and some of them other nuts? We have a game with St. Louis tomorrow and a doubleheader on the 4th of July. I guess probably Callahan will work me in one of the 4th of July games on account of the holiday crowd. Your pal, Jack. P.S. Maybe I should want to leave the kid left-handed so as he can have some of their luck, the lucky stiffs. End of chapter 4